All right. Welcome to the first pod. So this is a brand new podcast concept that I guess we are currently referring to as, what was the title again? Reels and Revolutions. Reels and Revolutions. No one's thought of this before. Brand new concept. So for uh, for those listening, just to give you an idea. So here's the idea. Uh, we, Simon and I, are looking at the last 100 years, specifically a movie and an album that comes that came out in a year that we randomly are selecting. And we, we pre-selected the, the, the year randomly for this first podcast. And moving forward, at the end of each podcast, we will randomly select the, the year for the, the next pod. And this it has no other criteria other than it's a movie that we want to watch personally and an album that we want to listen to personally. And of course, if we get really old, you know, back in the 1920s, we might have to adjust slightly because I don't know how common albums really were back then. But that's the general concept. So, Simon, why don't you go ahead and just jump in and tell tell them, you know, what year we're working with for this first podcast. Okay. Yeah, and I'll give some historical background. Um, so, the year is 1975. The average movie ticket costs $2.05. The Vietnam War <laughs> officially ends. Microsoft is founded by Bill Gates and Paul Allen. Saturday Night Live first airs on NBC. Charlie Chaplin is knighted by Queen Elizabeth II. And Muhammad Ali defeats Joe Frazier after 14 rounds in a thrill in Manila. The hot movies of the year include Jaws, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Barry Lyndon, and today's film, The Man Who Would Be King. The hot albums of the year include Physical Graffiti, Blood on the Tracks, Wish You Were Here, Still Crazy After All These Years, Born to Run, and today's album, A Night at the Opera. Yeah, I think we got kind of lucky with this first pick uh, in some ways <laughs> yeah. because we had a, a, a lot of different movies to choose from. Uh, we could have gone with the obvious, I think. You know, I think Jaws. our first thought was Jaws, but we both watched that recently. Everyone's seen Jaws. A billion things have been said about Jaws. So, um, you know, we, we decided to go with a, with a different option, which we'll talk about here. I don't know. Should we just tell them now? Well, I said, I said. Oh, you did. It's, Sorry. Um, it's The Man, uh, the man Who Would, would be, be King. King. Yeah. So this is one that neither one of us had, had, had seen. Uh, and then we, I, we went, I think, with kind of an obvious choice for the album. Yeah, Queen, we had right? to balance it out. But you know, when looking at all the different albums, uh, I think it was a good one to start with. Uh, and just a little bit of background here. This is where I, at least I think it was a little lucky selection for me uh, because, you know, I'm, I've been a huge Queen fan for a long time. And I was just thinking back, 1975, <clears throat> excuse me, and I was not really into music yet in 75. I would have been 10 years old. So what are you, in fourth grade, fifth grade? Yeah, yeah when you're 10? there. Yet, I'll have to say, I do have two very, very strong, distinct mem musical memories from that year. Uh, one, not related to, to Queen, at least not directly, was hearing the song Fame, because that was another album that came out that year, was David Bowie's Young Americans. 
hearing that song on the school bus radio and it that memory of hearing that song stuck in my head even though i was not i had no idea who it was by what the song was or anything but i still distinctly remember where i was sitting on the bus when i heard that song the other was hearing bohemian rhapsody for the first time again this is one of my earliest musical memories i was at the roller rink Wow. <laughs> and I don't know if it was a birthday party or a school trip or something, but at the roller rink and skating and hearing Bohemian Rhapsody and kind of stopping dead in my tracks to listen to the song, uh, even though I was a horrible skater. Um, yeah. But stopping and being like, wow, that is a really unique song. And it just stuck in my head. Um, jump forward, time jump forward, when I really started getting into music, Junior High, 1978, 79. Queen was the very first band that I kind of got deep into. Had to buy every album, you know, anything that came out. Uh, and, of course, Night at the Opera, top is, on the is, list. Is that the crown jewel? Well, I mean, so, little history of the album. It was their fourth album, produced by Roy Thomas Baker, uh, he famously also produced a lot of the Cars' big hits, mm -hmm. Journey, A Foreigner, another big band of the 70s, Ozzy Osbourne, and actually a huge, huge list, but uh, those would probably be the biggies. At the time, this was the most expensive album ever produced, so spent okay. a lot of money. Uh, it was using a 24-track recording deck, so that was, I think, part of the, the expense. And as... Many of you probably know, and we'll be talking about this a lot, I think. Lots of time doing overdubs. Yeah. Lots of time <laughs> doing overdubs. Uh, reviews were actually mixed, uh, but reviews are were always mixed for Queen Records. But, of course, what was praised? The production, the musical range, the variety of songs. It has since been named, just recently in 2020, the number 128th greatest rock album by Rolling Stone. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of different things that we could talk about, uh, but you know, maybe we should just dive yeah, in. Yeah, you want to? Yeah, do you want to just go song by song? Yeah, I think we just go song by song. Okay. And I know we both have taken I wrote some made stuff. notes uh, on um, on each song. The one thing that just one again, quick broad comment. As I was re-listening to this album, because I haven't listened to the album as a whole for a long time, it's not a subtle album. <laughs> <laughs> Lyrically? Lyrically, musically. Yeah. You know, there's no subtlety to this album in any it's... way, shape, or form. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll talk about the lyrics, I think, more. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And also, I want to say, I, I haven't listened to this album before. I mean, obviously, I've heard some songs before, but I haven't actually listen and some of the songs i've never heard uh actually probably most of this i think i only heard Pimi rhapsody and you're my best friend yeah probably. maybe another um well before we go into each song what what's your overall what was your overall impression right away yeah i want to just like expectations maybe your expectations and just a gut reaction when the first um, time you heard it as a whole as a whole i my expectations were high i mean it's like, and it is, I think it is, like, it's an instant classic just because of Bohemian Rhapsody and, yeah. and You're My Best Friend. But, 
But I think after first listening to it, I was like kind of disappointed by it. I like didn't a lot of this. There there are a couple songs in it that I just don't think are that good, <laughs> and I think a lot of I felt like they were for the they were really trying it trying to make it like Bohemian Rhapsody kind of well, like they're trying to do the same thing, but it really works with Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, and some of the other songs that like didn't feel like it works as well. I, I would agree and. And, and we'll dive into but, it, but I think, I mean, my, the nostalgia of it, to me, you know, I'm still like, oh, great album, but not, I listen to it more critically, mm-hmm. and I would probably agree with you. There definitely are songs that you would hit yeah. the skip button, typically. So, <laughs> so let's jump in. Yeah, so the first song is Death on Two Legs, dedicated to, in parentheses, um, and... I wrote like th- these are notes that I wrote from like a week ago when I f- at like after I watched, listened to it. I I think it's a good start to the album. Uh, I kind of like how the beginning has like a kind of classical music intro. It sounds like cla- like a cla- like classical music, so I like that. Um, and I think it starts the like trend throughout the whole album of doing like these big buildups yeah. and then stopping, kind of day in the life yeah. uh, style, um, which it does at the very beginning, and then it kind of also does at the end of the song. Um, but yeah, I know, I know. This is again having a, such a history with this record. I didn't really have to do that much research. The and I know you said you had an idea of what the lyrics are yeah, yeah. about. I guess I could guess the. Yeah. I, I haven't really analyzed them or looked up what they mean. Like I think I, when I first listened to it, I wasn't listening to it, and I was like, "Oh, is it just like you know, like a classic X? You know, they, they, you know." But it's very direct, very aggressively, <laughs> yeah. like just really just straight up insulting them. But then I listened to it, and they talked about money. I thought maybe it's like a manager or taxes. That's a classic. Rockstars hate taxes. Yeah. So I would say it's one of those, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, well, you hit the nail on the head. It, it This, again, kind of um, almost famously, this was their first record after leaving a bad management okay. that took all yeah. their money. You know, the classic, you know, young classic. rockers sign a contract, don't realize what they're signing, Yeah. finally got out of it, made this album as their first album under a new manager, and Freddie Mercury wrote this song, yeah. basically an F you to the past manager. I don't know of any rock stars that didn't get screwed over by the managers. <laughs> right. uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, you, yeah, you, I mean, you, 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 you guessed on that. And I agree. I think the uh, I like overall the the. I mean, it's a hard-hitting song to kick off the record. Yeah. But it has that mix of styles. Um, the lyrics are okay. The lyrics are fine. I mean, you know, they're. I listen to it again. They're easy to sing along with. Yeah. But you know, they're, again, there's no, there's no subtlety to it at all. But it's, it is, it does kick off the album well, and I agree with you. There. Um, that kind of build up from the mix of classical to suddenly hard rock guitars and. And um, and how it then just bang it ends and it jumps into the next song, 
it kind of sets the whole template for the to the, for the album yeah. music. I mean, it's very Queen. Yeah, uh, a lot of pretty much every song in this is super Queen, which they have the style and it's good. So uh, I guess they stick with it. Uh, something like I know like the vocals really overlap. Like the the like obviously it couldn't be done live. So I I, I don't I don't know the history of Queen, but I guess now bands just aren't. A lot of bands don't really care about trying to make stuff that they can do live, because uh, like they like he'll like sing a lyric and it, his lyric kind of fades out, but then the next lyric starts before the other one even fades out. Yeah, and then I mean, there's already that overdub, multi-layered vocal yeah. component, and a lot of effects on the vocals too, where things just kind of fade out or there's an echo or something. Obviously, they were really into the production. Let's just make this. Yeah. huge sound yeah it sounds very full yeah and that's the queen sound or that's what i know of as the queen sound is that like the harmonies and all the vocals um and i know we've we've off mic talked about the brian may guitar sound and you know yeah. whether or not you can tell it's him okay i mean obviously you know it's him playing on this record yeah but i think for most of the songs he the his guitar has a certain tone to it on this and again just a little bit of history so he, he typically plays this guitar that he calls his red special which is a guitar he made okay. i think with his dad because i think his dad was an electrical engineer or something um and it's the one you see him playing in all the videos uh and I, I there was some kind of I don't know if it was urban myth that he always instead of using a guitar pick he would play with a like a, a ten pence coin or something <laughs> and so all of that gave it that certain tone it's hard to describe what the tone is but again this I think this sets the template for the whole album <clears throat> yeah it does uh like I actually with the trend like I was really listening to the transitions uh between each song and the you know the big build up and then the stop is like what they love to do in this album maybe because we've listened to another album that came out in 1975 of venus and mars <laughs> true. by wings which really transitions yeah. really well i really like that album but this so i was kind of comparing it kind of at least like i couldn't help myself and the transitions in this, to me, at times felt pretty harsh. I mean, yeah, they do the build up and the stop thing, but I was like, I don't know if it is. And I think it got better at, later in the album when they just started to just do the fade out. I was like, just do a fade out if you can't. Do yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I know. And I know we, we had had some informal conversations about comparing those two albums. And I do think they're two good comparisons. I even, I have to say, gave a slight comparison to Sgt. Pepper's. But yeah. but some of that has to do with maybe the next song and a few of the other songs that come up. Um, these kind of old-timey sounding songs. And I know they do that on Venus and Mars too. Uh, and, and I'm sure, there's no doubt that Queen, that Queen was influenced by the Beatles. I mean, everyone was influenced by the Beatles. Uh, but I think Queen, like the Beatles and Paul McCartney, very English band. I mean, they're called Queen. Um, they do God Save the Queen. And yeah. yeah, they do God, God Save the Queen at the end. Good point. That 
they're into that kind of um, music hall, kind of old 40s, 30s, 40s music hall sound, too, which the Beatles obviously did and Paul McCartney did and they did. So I, th- I don't think it's a bad comparison. Is it, is it as good as, as Sgt. Pepper's. Pepper? I, I don't think any, you can compare anything to Sgt. Pepper. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's in that vein, I guess is the way I would put it. Yeah, they they try they try to do a day in the life like crazy build up yeah. and change. It's not as good, but but and there's you know, a, or the orchestration. There's it works the, sometimes. The multi track so. stuff. I mean, it it's a it's an a, a, an evolution of the the yeah studio. I mean, approach. They've got twenty four tracks versus what Beatles had. I don't know four. Eight, <laughs> yeah, eight? Right. I don't know. I don't know musical. Yeah, I don't know production really. Eight but, or six, but it was obviously they're they've got more technology and they could do more um, but, but i think it is a good a good uh, a good comparison and i think we'll talk more about the singing yeah. and stuff but yeah it's freddie mercury right and he's good so i yeah do you want to just move on yeah. yeah i mean and then with your as you mentioned the whole kind of abrupt end and then bang right into this completely different blazing on a sunday afternoon completely Completely different different, very different but still sounds very queen though yeah like it's very different but it's still distinctly queen um and it's i mean it's good it's a little ditty kind of uh it's you got that kind of old time singing through a megaphone sound And again, I did a little bit of research on this. I guess to get that sound, what they did was Freddie Mercury was singing. They actually had his vocals come out of a set of headphones, which they put into like a garbage can or something. And then they mic'd that up and recorded it from there. (laughs) I don't know why you wouldn't just get a megaphone out and do it. I don't know. But obviously the producers are looking for a certain sound quality. But to get that kind of as, as if someone's singing from far away. Yeah. Musicians or, always yeah. are coming up with weird ways to do stuff. And, you know, I think it's a good transition. It gives you a almost a little break from the heaviness. It's of, really short, too. I think it's only a minute. Or, yeah. I don't know. Maybe less it's than longer. two minutes long. I don't know. It's less than two minutes long. Um, but but yeah. it immediately tells you, too, that... This isn't going to be an album where it's just one rocker after another. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I, I mean, I think we should just move on. We don't have. Any. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much there is more to say about it other than it's, you know, it's. An it's a. It's a little. It's like it's kind of a comfy song, happy. It's very like upbeat and happy. Right. Old, yeah, old sounding. And then it transitions to, pretty abruptly then. Yeah, this is, that's, I think is maybe the worst transition. Into another very different song. I think. I'm in love with my car. I think this is the worst song. I think this, I would totally agree with you. And from pretty much every standpoint, I think the lyrics are bad. Right. I've no, like, I guess we didn't talk about the lyrics for other ones, but I, I'm, I'm taking it literally, like the lyrics. And then they change to someone else. I don't know who sings it. It's not. It's the drummer. It's, it's not Roger Freddie Taylor. Mercury, and it's just not as good. No. I, I I didn't think it was memorable. I was just like, it's a skip. I would skip yeah, it every time. I've got in my notes one of my least favorite songs. It's silly. The lyrics are stupid. Tell my girl, I have to forget her. Yeah. 
Yeah, the lyrics are stupid. I was like, bring back Freddie Mercury. He's a great singer. Just get him to sing every song. I mean, and obviously this is a, a true band. They do have three of the four sing. The bassist, John Deacon, never sings, but writes some songs. I think on every almost every album, Brian May sings one song. Roger Taylor sings one song. Freddie sings all the rest of them. Yeah. And this is just one of those where they could have left this song off the album. I commend them being able to get other people to sing and, and them writing, too. There aren't a lot of bands where that many people right. write. Um, but... Like Ringo's better, and, and he's like the worst <laughs> he's, singer. Right. I mean, I mean, it's it is it's kind of the Ringo song on there. Yeah, it's I mean, the that's Ringo the way song. To think of it. But Ringo's better. And then when you think about the lyrics, you know, at first I was like, it was like, well, is this a metaphor for a woman? It was like, I think it's just. About I his think car. it's just about his car. I was like, he's talking about a woman. He's like, they don't talk back. I mean, he just really loves his. I car. mean, you could read stuff. You could read into it, but I think it's just about a yeah. car. Not. I don't know why, but, but you know. Uh, but it has some nice car sounds at the end. Some, like, <laughs> it, does, it does have some nice car sounds at the end. That's why it's only saving grace. But luckily... <laughs> it's saved. It's saved by the next song. By the next song. Which uh, I think probably most people listening have heard this, You're My Best Friend. You're My Best Friend. My favorite song, I think, I on mean, the album. I just have great pop song. I mean, that that's just... I, and this is where maybe there's some... I have some hot takes. Like, I... Think of this one in in Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm not gonna say it's better than Bohemian Rhapsody. I don't think that's true, but I think in a lot of ways it's more accessible. Yeah, it's just easier to listen to. You can kind of just put it on. I mean, this still has all of the Queen attributes, I guess, for lack of a better word. It's got the overdub vocals. Ooh, you make me live now, honey. It's got the guitar solo. It's it's obviously just a, got a great hook. I think this was written by the bassist. Uh, I, I didn't double check uh, I that. I think it. It's not. I'm pretty sure. Um, I mean, you can't. It's just a great. It's just pop, a great song. Rock song. You, you know. You, you know why. You can tell why it was a hit immediately. It's just good. Yeah. I, uh, and there's not much to there's say. There's not much more to say about it. Everyone, I think I don't know anyone who doesn't like that song. I mean, it just has every it has all right. the best of Queen in it. And then um, we go into thirty nine. Yeah, thirty nine. Which very different. Very different. I never heard a Queen song that sounds like this. It's like not as rock. It doesn't sound like Queen. I again, this is Brian May. So this is the guitarist singing. I've got it down as sci-fi folk. <laughs> sci-fi folk. Because, again, I did a little bit of in, uh, investigation into it. Brian May wrote it. He, I think he's he studied and is an astrophysicist. And so he wrote this song about explorers, but they're space explorers. They, they go off on this expedition. I couldn't really get this from the lyrics, but from what, but from what he talks about... When the expedition comes back, they've only been gone for a year in their time, 
but it's been like you know a hundred years or whatever. Oh, it's, so they left in thirty nine. Yeah, I think that's what they're saying. Or it, it, I don't know. Or returned in the year thirty nine, and you don't know if it's twenty thirty nine or yeah forty thirty nine or whatever. And okay. everyone, they come back, and everyone they knew and loved is dead. I mean, that's the, the supposed to be the general story. It's a very different sound. I did not get that. I did, wouldn't have gotten it I, unless uh, I had done the, I, the, the, the investigation. Is here. To it. She's I meowing. <laughs> but I like the groove, and I really like the vocal harmonies. It's good. I mean, it's catchy. It's There's this kind of weird, and this is where throughout, it does this throughout the whole album. They have these kind of weird segments yeah like where it just starts doing this vocal harmony segment and that's completely different than the song right it's kind of building up and then it kind of just goes back to the song uh which i thought was kind of weird i was like you're building up to something then it just goes back to the same thing and i think it's all it kind of it comes at a climax to bohemian rhapsody and that's like when they do it all but you yeah. see some hints of it before um, and you hear those kind of weird, high-pitched background vocals. Yeah, that happens in Bohemian Rhapsody as well. But you're right. I mean, it's it is all kind of building up to that song. Um, the way they put the order of the songs was obviously very deliberate. It's a good song. I, I don't particularly love Brian May's vocals, uh, but it's okay. But but it's a it's a it's a good. It's song. a little long, I think. Yeah, and I think that's true for for a, for number a lot of, of these songs. They're just a little long. They're just a tad long. I mean, that then jumps into "Sweet Lady." Yeah, it's pretty good. It's the same thing that the whole song. Yeah, it's got a nice instrument. I wrote it's nice instrumental, but I got kind of bored. I mean, it's kind of a, just a you know, if you want to put on something loud and jam out, yeah, it, it's good for that. Again, lyrics were not really that great. You call me sweet like got it's got a good groove to it. It it is one that you you know, okay, I'm gonna turn the speakers up really loud. I yeah, uh, I understand why people like Brian May, why they like Queen, because they rock out. But I was like, I don't know. I don't need a minute long rock out at the end. It's already not that exciting. Like I was kind of bored, and then by the end it's like a rock guitar rocking. Yeah, I know like you're not. Minute. You're not one for the big guitar jams. It's just one where, like, if I'm listening to the play uh, album and I'm doing something, I've zoned out and I'm not even really listening to it. Yeah. And then I come. Then the next song plays, and I'm like, oh yeah. And I. I, I mean, it, again, it's fine, and, and I think it fits the mood of the album. Is it a high point? No. It's not as bad as I'm in love with my car. <laughs> it's not that bad. Uh, but it's it you know it, it it's it's middle of the road and then then you get into seaside rendezvous which i love this song it's a great song again you go back to that old timey sound it's freddie mercury it's just again. fun like finally freddie mercury he's good he's singing he's just um a really He's just really charismatic as a singer. Yeah. I mean, I think that's you get that in pretty pretty much every song that he sings is that showmanship component. Even though you're just listening, you still get an element of the showmanship. Another kind of interesting note, I guess the horn sounds. <laughs> we're all really just Freddie Mercury and Roger Taylor 
making mouth mouth, like mouth, mouth trumpet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But so they never they didn't really have trumpets or anything. They just did that all their own. It's great. It's a very it's seaside. Like it's like a seaside. Yeah. Quirky. It's kind of quirky with the lyrics and how he sings. But then, like it's it's like such, it's like sees walking on the beach. It's fun. I it's one that I tend to want to put in playlists, and you know when you're making the pop playlist. I feel like I've heard this one before, actually, but I don't know what I I don't know if it's on greatest hits. I wouldn't. I think, think. if you've heard it, it's probably been on a playlist that I put okay. together for your mom or or for Olivia. Olivia has put it on playlists too. Okay, yeah, uh, because uh, other really other queen. Yeah. <laughs> I like Queen too. My his I just I didn't talk about my history with Queen, but I liked Queen like growing up because you guys would play it. It's everybody likes Queen, greatest hits. But that like as I've gotten more into music by the, now, like more recently, I like just haven't really listened to Queen. I like them when they, when it comes on. I'm like, yeah, it's good, but I haven't really chosen to listen to it. Uh, I've been more into like. The Beatles and well, I think Queen is a band. It's a band that you, or at least this is me. I don't listen to them for a long time, and then I'll hear a song on the radio, or it'll pop up in a playlist, and I'm like, oh yeah, Queen. Yeah, they're great. And then I'll put on greatest hits or a playlist that has favorite songs, and you, and then for two days you listen to Queen, and then you don't listen to them for another six months. Okay. <laughs> yeah, me. that's that's I guess that's true, but for me it's been years I haven't. Yeah. But like where I'll hear it and it's great, but I'm not like putting it on, but it's not like one of my regulars that I always go back to. Um but back to the do you want to go to the next song? Yeah, so Seaside Rendezvous I think we good. both agree. It's a good really fun. We could rank the songs. Just I didn't a really rank good. Them. I didn't rank them. I didn't either. rank them, but we could, I guess. Uh, and then that leads into the prophet song, which I have mixed feelings about. Yeah, I do too. Uh, uh, I would probably say it's one of the worst ones, um, not as bad as the others, because it because I think it starts really well. It's like telling this epic story and the lyrics, and it has the queen ness, and it sounds good. It's catchy, and it's got a groove. And then, like halfway through, <laughs> it goes off the rails. It just starts doing. I I describe. I wrote that it sounds like they acapellaed each part of an acapella group <laughs> instead of doing it all together. And it just is like goes on for so long. This is. I put. There's just too much bombast in that middle section. If you took that middle section out. It would be a really good song, I think, because I think it ends pretty well, too. Um, and here's how, again, a little bit more inside knowledge on Queen. I put that I think what they're trying to do is a vocal version of what they did on their previous album, that song Brighton Rock, which is in Baby Driver. I don't remember. Where, if I heard where it, I there's think this I would guitar know. section where there's all this echo and it repeats and repeats, and, and, and that's what they're doing it. with vocals instead. But it goes on forever. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know it's just I like know, it's just like uh, you think it's gonna end, and, and it you think it's going. gonna end. And I mean, it's probably two minutes long. At least two minutes. Maybe three. But then by the end, it kind of goes back, but it's still not. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it was like, it was an example of 
too much time. In I mean, the I get they spend a lot. They, you know, this is where all the money stuff is going. Yeah, but I don't know. But I, it's it is one that maybe it's too arty. When I me. start to listen to it, I think, oh yeah, this is a good song until it gets to that vocal section, and then I'm like, okay, this is this is just a little too much. Freddie had too much time in the studio. I've zoned out. Yeah, and then and then then you're kind of lost, uh, and then it jumps into. Uh, Love of My Life, which I know is a fan favorite. I mean, in concerts, not my like favorite. It. I mean, I like it. I love the piano and the guitar and the bass sound. I find the lyrics a little sappy. It's too silly of a love song. <laughs> and it's too long, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I barely wrote anything about this. Maybe that says something. Um, I just wrote pretty good, maybe a little long. I mean, it's just an obvious... It's kind of a middle of the road. Yeah, I mean, he's a great singer. We know he's a great singer. I found the music, in this case, interesting, the music more appealing than him singing. I, I, just, I don't think it's anything really special. It was just like, okay... Like I, I like forgot about it, like like I just was like, oh yeah, that's on there. But I know if you ever see any video of concerts, he sang this in every concert. I think the crowd loved it because it was him. I think probably alone at the piano or whatever. It it's it's okay. It's fine. Uh, it, it's not definitely again not my favorite. There are worse songs on the on the album, but I think it's an example of some maybe. I don't know if Queen's lyrics are the best overall. Um, and it's to me, it's just a little too. Lyric, I mean, lyrics I mean, or whatever. And then, to good company, another old time. Another old timey. Maybe, maybe too many. <laughs> yeah. This, this one's Brian May singing though. I don't like it as much as the other two old timey songs. Yeah, I don't. I, I actually like when I was going back uh, and listening to the album again. I realized I didn't write any notes for this song. Like, I either skipped it or I forgot. I just forgot, I think, to write notes about it. To me, it kind of feels like, kind of like, it's. it feels like a like a little minute-long Beatles song that they would just put on the end of, like, an album, but it's, like, three minutes. Yeah, it's too long, because the other two old-timey songs are shorter. This and one's it, got more guitar work in it, because I think probably because it's written by Brian May and sung by him, but... I don't know if they needed to go old timey three times. <laughs> it's just like, uh, yeah, I don't know if they needed that many. It's like Venus and Mars had one. That was good. Yeah. I don't know about Sgt. Pepper's. I can't remember. I mean, their kind of albums has that have, yeah. kind of style. It's not the same style, I don't think. No. But there's a part near the end kind of where it changes. And I like that part a yeah. lot. But then it just goes back to the same thing. And I'm like, I wanted something more. It's it's different for like a few seconds and then it just goes back. That's that's one thing I didn't like is that it it's the same thing throughout the whole time. I don't know if it ever really changes. Yeah, there there is a time where it, where the guitar sound changes and it does have a slightly different feel to it. And I like that. Again, it's kind of this layered Brian like, May guitar do an sound. Effect on his voice, yeah. it slows down. I'm like, oh, this is cool. It's it's like maybe it's even transitioning to the next song. It doesn't. It just no, goes it back. It goes back to the little almost ukulele kind of sound. And, and so I, again, I think this was more of a throwaway. Uh, it's fine though. It's it's catchy, I guess. 
But of course, it leads into the song. The song. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? The Queen definitive Queen song. And I think this is the definitive Queen song. Everyone knows it. I mean, I just put down, and I know this is maybe, maybe it's nostalgia speaking. I mean, to me, this is the perfect Queen song. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, it's is it as catchy and poppy as some of their other hits? No. Um, and there are other songs that I, that I do think some maybe some vocals are maybe even a little better. On uh, you know, somebody to love, for instance, is a, is a good example. Yeah. But. This to me is the best produced and sounding rock epic song ever, ever made. I don't know of many rock epics, but like I could think of like Meatloaf. Yeah, Meatloaf, or think of, I mean, I think of Roundabout as kind of an epic yeah, song. Yeah, I guess. Which has great, it's longer. It, uh, that is to me is like more instrumental. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say that hasn't been said already. Right. I mean, it's it's great. It's it's like every it's iconic. You sing along to it. The vocals are perfect. Yeah. They don't go too overboard with the overdub. Yeah, they part. change. There's like four or five different segments. Yeah. The guitar um, hard rock end. This is really where it's like an opera kind yeah. of. Yeah. Like it's called Night at the Opera. A lot of the songs not really operatic, but this song has some definite opera opera yeah. things. They um, I don't know that they might he might say some opera stuff. I don't know. He says Scaramouche, Scaramouche. He says Scaramouche. What do you do the Fandango? <laughs> I don't know if that's actually from an opera or not. Scaramouche it, it is, is like some sort of play. Yeah, but. and he throws in some Arabic. Uh, it's it really again. If this has been spoken about by. People better critics better. than us, <laughs> but you cannot fault the lyrics. You, I, I mean, the vocals, the lyrics. You know, they are what they are, and I'm sure people have tried to to decipher them. I don't think you need to to know what he's singing about. It's, I have no idea. Yeah, the vocals are perfect. The piano part, the production, the the overdubs, the build into the hard rock, and then the quiet ending. And again, I having seen them in concert. You talked about being able to reproduce things live. You know, you couldn't reproduce that vocal section live. So what they would do was, you know, he would, Freddie would sing the piano. They would play until that overdub section. They would actually leave the stage and just play a recording of it. Oh, okay. Uh, And, you know, with the light show and smoke and going, and then they would all come back for the hard rock end yeah. You know, and the play the guitar rock. solo and the drums and all of that, and then he would end at the piano. Yeah. Because you couldn't reproduce that live, but they figured out a way just to make it a big light yeah, show. Yeah, just a show. It's like kind of all the parts of Queen in one song, right. not too long. It has everything you want. Uh, and... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. It's Wayne's World. And I, I, like I mean, and I know, um, you know, some people get sick of it. And I, it's still one, though, that if it comes on the radio, I will tend to listen to it. I don't know if I... I, I don't think I'm sick of it. I, I like... If it comes on, it's good. I like it. It's great. But I don't know how much I'm really choosing to listen to it. Um, that's why I like comparing it to, like... Um, 
the other song. What's the other song? You're my best friend. Oh yeah. Or somebody to love or something. We're like those are like the ones that are just pop and easy to listen to. This one. You have to kind of commit a little more. Yeah. It's longer. <laughs> it's true. You do have to commit, and you got it, it's more of the the up and it's down. It's up and down. It's yeah. like the 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 how the 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 song evolves. Where... So I yeah I mean I think we would both agree it's a great song and it's the best song. Well, you 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 think you're about you're my I don't best think friend. You're my, I don't think it's I I don't I do not want to claim that <laughs> you're my best friend is better. I think they're different. I would. I think it's you know my best friend is more approachable. It's more accessible. It's it's better in some ways. It just yeah. depends what your what mood what mood in. you want to listen to and what mood you're in. It's so. easy to see why those were the two big songs off the album, though. And I guess last season. And then we end with God Save the Queen. The British patriotism. The, <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I don't know. Is it done ironically? Who knows? But I don't uh, know. But it is a very, again, Beatlesque way to end a record. With yeah. a little, um, it's kind of tongue in cheek. Instrumental. It feels tongue in cheek, kind of. I don't know. It, it it feels a little tongue in cheek to me too. With it's got that they're Brian May guitar queen. song. It's, they're called Queen, but obviously the term Queen could be used in a variety of, of yeah. contexts with with the band and with Freddie Mercury. But it also became the way they ended all their concerts, where they would play mm. a recording of God Save the Queen when they were done. They're like, okay, this is the end. Yeah. Um, no more on. So I think it's a good coda. I think it is a good coda to the yeah, record. Yeah, I I didn't know to do that, but it's a good. Yeah, I mean it's fine. A rock version, right? Um, and it's short. It's yeah, it's Beatles esque. Right. Um, overall, I guess overall thoughts. Do you have any overall thoughts? Well, overall thoughts. Again, I would say, thinking back, I can see why people loved this record. Uh, and I, you know, I've heard different musicians say this was the record that kind of sealed the the their goal to be a rock star. You know, I've heard Fo the Foo Fighters talk about it, and you know, different bands from this from the '80s and '90s say, "Oh yeah, it was it was Queen's Night at the Opera. That was the record that did it for me." And you can see why. It's got everything. It's got the hard rock. It's got easy lyrics to sing along to, etc. Is it as good as maybe I thought it was when I was in middle school? No, mm -hmm. probably not. But would I, if someone said, should I listen to Ignite the Eye? Yeah. I'd say, yeah, you should listen to it. You might not love everything on it, but you'll go on a bit of a journey listening to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, it, 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 there's a reason why it, it is so well known. And I, I, yeah, and I agree. I think it's, Worth listening to. It's definitely worth listening to uh, if you're like going through rock albums or something. Right. Um, but I think, like, for Queen, I'll stick to the greatest hits. <laughs> I, I don't know. I would probably agree with you on that, too. I mean, there are some songs in here that aren't on the greatest hits that I like. So, like, the benefit of going through albums is yeah. finding songs like, I mean, like Death on Two Legs or Seaside Rendezvous. I, 
are like those songs are that stood out to me and be like, okay, I'd I'd put that on a playlist. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, but I would agree with you. I mean, my, I'm if I had the choice between a a greatest hits or a playlist queen, ver, or listen to this whole album. I would always go with the greatest hits or or, or, or a curated playlist from somebody that's gone through and yeah. picked the best songs. Uh, but if you're someone that's trying to just investigate, quote unquote, the best album, rock albums, you, I do think you have to listen to it at least once. I haven't. Well, I haven't listened to any Queen albums other than this now. And I don't know if I will. I, I think like this one I think is considered to be the best yeah i think this is considered and, to be the best and the other ones like i don't even know what the other ones are i couldn't i mean it. i would say that this is the blueprint for queen in the 70s you know the the variation between the hard rocks the slow songs the ballads the overdubbing there's a variation on the theme in every queen album in the 70s that where it, the difference comes when um the album with uh, another one, Bites the Dust, comes. That one's where they're kind of transitioning into a little different sound there. A little bit more hard rock, actually, even though they they have more kind of funk stuff on it, too. But there's less of the old-timey stuff. There's less of the really sappy ballads. Uh, okay. So I would say if you're going to listen to two albums, you listen to this one. And is it called another one? No, bites the dust? I can't even think of what it's called now. But it's the one with with another one bites the dust on it. Uh, I'd have to look up what that okay. is. because um, there are some other good songs on that one too. Um, so that's Night of the Opera. Wanna, I mean, I think we yeah, we both like the album. I guess we could rate it if you want to rate it. I don't know how. I don't know how. Like I out of ten, out of five. I mean, we can thumbs up, thumbs, thumbs down. I mean, I would. Well, let's see. So for the movies, we should do a thumbs up, thumbs down. Really? Okay. And then for the or no, should we just rate them both? You I mean, out of five, it. I would give this a four. Nostalgia. Four out of five. So nostalgia with, the, with nostalgia points. With nostalgia points. I, I, realistically, it might be a three and a half. <laughs> I, I don't know, because it's very hit or miss, I think. Yeah, there are yeah. times like where it's like, I'm in love with Makara, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. this is just bad. Or or but then, you know, but then it goes straight it they go straight into you're my best yeah. friend. I'm like, uh so I'd probably give it a at least a three and a half. So three and a half to four uh, on our ratings for uh Queen's Night at the Opera from nineteen seventy five. Do you wanna Take a break before we. Should we take a break before we into jump into the man who would be the man king who would be when king we come back when we come back and we're back and we're back. Um, so the movie we watched uh, was the man who would be king. It was directed by John Huston, who I'd never heard of him, but he directed the Maltese Falcon, the Treasure of the Sierra Madre, the Misfits, so on, like a lot of really classic movies. Um, it was written by John Huston and Gladys Hill. Um, it's based on The Man Who Would Be King, uh, which is like a novel uh, uh, written in 1888 by Rudyard Kipling, who's in the movie. He's played yeah. by Christopher Plummer. <laughs> that, that's, uh, that kind of surprised And me. it stars Sean Connery and Michael Caine. Um, uh, it, I guess it was nominated for four Oscars, didn't win any. Uh, it was nominated for... Adapted screenplay, art direction, costume design, and film editing, but didn't win any. 
like I, mean, I, think, I, I could kind of see see those those categories too being uh, ones that they were nominated for so yeah what did you think what what, what, what did you what would you think just so quick well i was surprised because i've heard of this movie um and i knew it was michael Caine and sean connery i didn't realize it was john houston who i think in many ways is more famous sometimes as an actor because he's in chinatown oh. um and he's got a really distinct voice um I'm torn on this one. I'm going to be honest mm -hmm. with you. Um, you. It's dated. There's no. It's, it's dated. very dated. I was. I was when I when I saw the Rudyard Kipling. I thought, oh, okay, so this is Kipling who wrote the Jungle Book and was famous for writing lots of stories about India and the British in India. Um, so you know, from a racial ethnic perspective yeah. it is not aged well however i think connery and, and michael kane are great in it it's i'll say um i hadn't heard of it before but my expectations going in was that i'd like it i was like i didn't know what it was about i didn't all. know what it was about but i was like Michael Caine, Sean Connery, two people with very distinct voices. <laughs> it's going to be worth it just for that. Yeah. Just to hear them talk to each other. Like Sean Connery talking to Michael Caine. Like two very iconic voices. I was like, it's going to be worth it just for that. And it's, I would say it's good. I, yeah, I would too. It's not super good. It's, it's a little slow and it's dated. I mean, you've got to get over the whole... How do they portray the local Indian and I guess Afghani? I think they're in Afghanistan. Yeah, they go to Afghanistan. Um, you know, people um, as kind of the exotics. That's kind of the note I put. Is you know, it's portraying these people as as these quirky, weird, kind of barbaric and stupid exotic people. Yeah, they're these. I mean, the main characters are kind of always saying that they're savages. Yeah. And, uh, and I think the movie does kind of portray, I mean, it portrays them in the kind of classic two ways as the savages. They're the sidekick. Right. Actually, yes. Actually, in the yes. third way, they're the exotic, beautiful Yeah, women. you're right. The sidekick, I didn't even think about that until you just mentioned that with the guy that, yeah, the guy that kind of worships English people. Yeah, just because like right. he, I don't know why like, I don't know why they don't really explain that um he's just like he was in the army and, yeah and so now he just loves I mean but getting back to the beginning like the main characters are good they're fun they are they're Michael Caine Sean Carney they're like a buddy it's a buddy movie it's a buddy kind of almost heist movie adventure slash it's heist like movie very, they're con men yeah they're 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 common they're adventurers they're former military yeah they're like very much remind me of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance. Yeah, Kid. that's a, that is a good. Um, I didn't think of that. That's a good, good which, analogy. And actually, I, there's there's something about it. Is Houston originally wanted to make it way earlier, and he wanted to make it with Clark Gable and Humphrey Bogart as the main. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but they're not English. No, and then he wanted to do it with, uh, but they died. So they died. They were both dead by 1960. So he couldn't do it with them. So then he wanted to do it with Burt Lancaster and okay. Kirk Douglas. Then he wanted to do it with Richard Burton and Peter O'Toole. That um, I could see too. And then in the 70s, he wanted to do it with Robert Redford and Paul Newman. 
Oh. So this is would be after after Butch Cassidy. Butch Cassidy's kid. But Newman apparently told him that British actors would be better and to get Sean Connery and Michael Caine. <laughs> so it was Paul Newman, I guess. He did it. And it's so, yeah, there's definitely a Butch Cassidy's kid kind of buddy, yeah. anti-hero people. And I got uh, the sense that, I don't know if those two were friends. I'm guessing they were. Uh, I think they and are. I just got were. the sense that they just were having a lot of fun, too. I mean, they you can tell they really, for whatever reason, embrace these roles. And they're charismatic. That's what wins me over in saying I liked the movie. Because there are other aspects of it that are kind of like, yeah, it's a little heavy-handed. Um, some of the music choices to me. Yeah, the music is not good, really. Yeah. It's just pretty generic. It goes from this generic Indian music to this generic English pomp and circumstance music. Yeah, they even say he says pomp. And yeah, it's just in the so, movie. it's just not good, but it's a fun movie, really, in a lot of ways. I kind of wish there was more action. Kind of. A lot of it is them kind of just saying what happened. Yeah. And they're kind of talking. And I did find it weird that they made Rudyard Kipling a character. And that's like, I don't know if that's in the book. I believe honestly. he doesn't say it's himself, but it's like pretty much himself. Oh, okay. Other than it's not his name. It's, you know, it's some okay. other person. But, um, but yeah, so it, it, he pretty much is in the story, but it's, it's not, as, I don't know how involved he was in the original story. I, apparently it's really faithful to the original story, but I don't know if he actually was like, I know, was the if, reporter for that newspaper. I don't know if it was really like, he was the one who saved them. Right. Um, oh yeah. From being, a, from being arrested yeah. and then kind of gets them on their way on this thing. Um, I mean, should we just for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, yeah, it. who doesn't know what it's about? Michael Caine. So I, I don't know exactly what time frame it's sent. It. They said the time. I think it's eighteen sixties. So it's eighteen sixties India, Afghanistan. I, Michael Caine and Sean Connery are former British military, and they're essentially they're just, like charlatans. Yeah. Adventurers, thieves, con men, just making their way in India, uh, and they they essentially have decided they're going to go to a very remote part of Afghanistan, and with their military skill, yeah, take over and steal and, as much treasure and, as and they be can. Kings, yeah. So their goal is to uh, go to there, work for one tribe. And make them take over and then take over themselves. Yeah, and then steal um, everything that they can and then leave. And they've signed this contract for whatever reason. So that's very weird. That's like a super, that's something that I watched. I was like, it's a very quirky, I don't know if it's quirky. It's just like a really weird thing to do. They're like, we're going to sign this contract uh, that we're, that will always help each other to get to become kings. And the two things that they have to do is they can't drink and they can't, can't be involved with women. Right. Is what their two tenants and like they are get, of the They thing. get Rudyard Kipling, the Rudyard Kipling character, to witness it. To witness it. And then there's this whole subplot of the Masons. Yeah. So 
kind yeah so where they're all like freemasons yeah. and that's how radio keep kipling helps them is because he's also a freemason right so um and it's kind of this circumstantial thing where they find out that they're freemasons and then uh before he leaves he gives them his freemason like symbol thing of radio kipling gives it to to sean connery and that then they don't really talk about no. it and then it comes up way later when right. um he's about to be killed by some priests and they see the he's wearing the freemason thing around his, his neck. neck they see it when they're about to kill him and they're like wait he is he's the son of alexander he, he pretends, the great he pretends yeah. to be uh, uh, the son of alexander the great and for some reason alexander the great must, was a freemason was a freemason so yeah. he carved the symbol like on the ruins and so they're like you actually are and now you're a king we and were, so obviously that um, you know they they be he becomes this really a god they consider him a god yeah. which again to me that's kind of the whole the natives are so stupid they believe just this white guy that comes along with rifles is a god but yeah. you know it then transitions into the story of kind of power, yeah, not it, corrupting, but kind going of, to your head. Yeah, it goes to like Sean Connery becomes a god, he becomes a king, and he kind of forgets about the mission. And right, because like, they've got all this gold. They could leave at any minute and be the richest people in the world. And he's is like, no, I want to stay. Right. I like being a god. <laughs> right. And it becomes his downfall later. But... Bringing it back yeah. more to the beginning, I think also that I just thought of that movie, Seven Years in Tibet, it kind of reminds me of that too. <laughs> With the two, the two, With the two, uh, guys, the two mountain climbers. They're in the mountains. There's a part where they're like, you know, at the beginning when they're trying to get there, they are kind of... Um, they're just going through the, the wilderness and stuff. Yeah. There are scenes, you're right, in this movie where it's just them hiking through the wilderness. Not a whole lot happens. They always find, like, Michael Caine is kind of the brains. Right. Uh, and he always find you know, they always find a way to get what they need to get. Um, and... And, well, and I, I'd say... Uh, Sean Connery is sporting some some awesome yeah, mutton, like chops. mutton chops, huge mutton chops. <laughs> Michael Caine's got this weird hair. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean it's really blonde, kind blonde. of. I don't know, shaggy seventies like hair. Really. Yeah, kind of. Uh, and then I have to say that even the tiny bit that Christopher Plummer's in, he's really good in it too. Yeah, like I was knew it was Christopher Plummer, and I was like trying to recognize Christopher Plummer, and I was like. I can't do it. Like, he looks exactly like Kipling. For, I saw a picture of Kipling. Oh, does he really? He looks really similar to Kipling in the movie. And I was trying to, like, recognize Captain Von Trapp, and I, like, couldn't. Because at first, you know, he's just, like, the, he's the English guy on the train. And then as soon as the whole Freemason thing comes about, he kind of gets this twinkle in his eye, and he's excited that he's meeting another Mason. And Yeah. He, and he's kind of... He's always giving them drinks. And he has, like, this story. He he's like, seems really amused by them. Yeah. And he also is seems like maybe he was kind of, like, you know, bored of his job. And then these people came in, and he's like, this is exciting. I want to um, help them. And then he helps them get out. And they are very weird. I mean, they're really yeah. quirky. They're doing, like, military marches <laughs> right. around just for no reason. Yeah. Um, 
It's like they're putting on a little show for everybody. Yeah. And they don't really care what anybody thinks about them. They always are putting on a show for people, and yeah, they just don't care what people think. Like, when they are pretending to be like a mad priest <laughs> yeah. and a servant, Sean Carney is like <laughs> right. dancing around yeah. and stuff. I mean, that's another thing where they're like, I guess it's, it's in this where these natives just think he's actually right like and and i don't know that actually what i want to bring up at the very beginning is what i noticed is the first shots of the movie are of street performers like stereotypes right. stereotypes of like indian right like aladdin kind of style where they do like scorpions in the mouth and it's and a long shot it's it's like it's like you know it's like more like it's a long sequence of just them showing different yeah things and then it kind of goes to like him at his end and i was like that they could have started the movie with just human. of the exterior of like the newspaper place and then going and see kept like they decided to show right. this first it's like this is what the movie's about this is the first impression is like these indian street performers where they're like i don't know they're like yeah eating well, scorpions and yeah that's where they have I, snake whispers i stuff. put down you know it's it sets up as immediately it's representing that, oh, this is going to be an exotic, crazy movie. Yeah. You know, you're going to be dealing with these crazy foreigners, kind of. This yeah. was my ad, my, my I mean, uh, And then, then when we talked about the, the music, because they're, they're playing that typical movie Indian type music, sitars and stuff. Yeah. And then it shifts instantly to this kind of English horn marching music. It's like... So there's this definite, yeah. there's the English and then there's the the weird Indian. Yeah, I mean, I could like maybe even say that they're trying to do it and maybe they're saying something, but I don't know I if don't they are. I don't think they were. I don't um, think it's it's a commentary. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe it's a commentary, but I don't think, I mean, it seems more just like it's old movie. Yeah, it's dated. And, it's dated. Um, the one thing I did say is they, do, but they don't have white people playing in brown face. Yeah. At so least, I mean, at that's least a, they've hired real Indians. Yeah, I was saying that. I was like, that's a really low bar. <laughs> right. Is like, at least they have actual Indians, but it's like, well, it is a really low bar. But they do have a ton of extras. I yeah. Mean, like, I don't know how I, many extras they have. I, I couldn't find that out, but... It looks like they filmed in Morocco from the yeah, credits. Yeah, they said... It, that's, I think, where they filmed all the, like, India right. segments. Um but um, the other interesting thing I saw, because I, I watched the credits, which I don't usually do, but I made a point of watching the credits. And the woman that plays Roxanne yeah, is Michael Caine's wife. Michael Caine's wife. So, so, yeah. So, I wrote that. So, the, basically, Roxanne, who is the only listed female character in the movie. <laughs> it makes uh, yeah. The only named one. Yeah. She maybe talks. She barely talks. I don't I think mean, she... Oh, she does a little bit. You're right. Um, so it's like another one, Lawrence of Arabia style, yeah, where there's just yeah. no women in the movie. Right. Um, and so she was originally going to be played by Tessa Dahl, who's Roald Dahl's daughter. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, she even lost weight and capped her teeth for the role. But the last minute, Houston... The director changed his mind because he wanted someone that looked more native. Because she's just white, right? Um, apparently, he like, when he told Michael Caine this, like they were eating dinner together with Michael Caine's wife, Shakira, 
um, and they just persuaded her to take the role, like there. I mean, I guess so, she wasn't an actress, obviously. She was, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know much about her, but like, because she was Indian, right? And so, which is, yeah, I didn't realize that till after the movie, but I was like. Yeah, yeah you neither, neither did I. I saw the name, and then you know I did a quick search, and it was like, oh, that, or maybe it was on the, the Amazon, you know, background things that oh, pop yeah. up on the screen. Yeah. So yeah, that's it's interesting that it was. Um, I don't. I other. I, I mean, I guess I can just go through some of these stuff. But I then. You're right. I mean, the I was thinking you, now that you mentioned it, there aren't. Any, I mean, there are women in it. The only other scene where women really play a pivotal role is when, when Sean Connery's metting out the justice to the. But yeah. they don't even speak. I mean, they speak. There's a woman that's speaking in, I don't know, Hindi, Hindi or whatever, something. Yeah. Um, but that's it. I mean, it's just that's it. And there's, I mean, that's kind of a weird scene, first of all, where he's like, they have this kind of scam where his, this <laughs> yeah. person's wife will go and, and cheat on him with all these other guys and he'll catch them. And then right. the law is that they give them, give them goats cows or, or cows. something, goats. And then he's like done that so many times that he's just getting all the cows. He's right. Um, which is kind of weird. I mean, it's like. It's a weird scene. I don't know if it's supposed to be funny. If I it's think supposed it's supposed to be... to be a little funny. It's also obviously shows kind of Sean Connery's character liking the 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 position of authority. I mean, almost that Solomon making decisions kind of thing. Yeah, like you know they bring their yeah. issues to the king. But uh, that's obviously then the downfall. But I mean, I did put that I thought the costumes were really good. The cinematography I thought was really good. Obviously, they filmed on location, not really in India, but it was location. So they probably had a pretty big budget. It must have been. I mean, they had so many extras. They're in these crazy places. I mean, the costumes, I mean, I would assume. I would assume it was a big budget film. Um, Do you have notes of, was it successful? I don't know. I know it was critically acclaimed. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I would assume it was, but I don't know how successful. I can try to find out. So this or, was seven. Well, you can I look mean, it up. Yeah, but, we we can look it up. Um, so this was seventy five. This was post James Bond. Post James Bond. Uh, I don't know about Michael Caine. Michael Caine, but yeah, I'm not sure what his. But I mean, basically, like, which what's interesting is. Well, first of all, Kane, Michael Caine said that he liked, said that he took the role without having read the script. He said he would do it because John Huston was his favorite director. And that he, want, cause, and when, because Huston told him that his role was originally going to be played by Humphrey Bogart. Oh. He was like, and my favorite, you know, Humphrey Bogart. I it's a role Bogart. for Hungry yeah. Bogart. I'm going to be playing that role. It's my favorite director. Um, and then... Also, what's interesting is both of them have said that this was their favorite movie that they've made. Wow. Which is, which is, which is kind of surprising. I mean, I can see it for Michael Caine. I may be strong I mean, too. I can I see mean. it too, especially if those guys were pals. Because I think they, I'm pretty sure Michael Caine, I saw an interview where Michael Caine said that like him and Sean Connery and Christopher Plummer were all friends before. And, and I think they were that... Those hard partiers, you know, yeah. where they probably went out and just partied every night when they were working together. Yeah. 
So obviously they they, they probably really just really enjoyed it. their own location. And it's pretty good movie. I mean, it has really good reviews. I that's one thing that I knew coming in. I just, you know, saw the Rotten Tomatoes score, which Rotten Tomatoes is, you know, hit or miss with the scores, but it has a really high Rotten Tomatoes score. Roger Ebert loved it. So, uh, I mean, I've got a couple of questions, kind of questions for you, just really more opinions. Okay. So one one was about the, and you brought this up, was the the um, the Billy Fish character, the, the yeah, sidekick. I mean, do you? I don't know if that's really is that a, a stereotype. Is there a if that's a common character the the local who basically wants to be the oppressor? You know, you know what I mean. I don't who, know who who idolizes the the oppressors. I don't know. I don't. I I mean, I can't think of like other examples, and I I don't know that many. Like, I'm not super educated on movies that like these period pieces and stuff, but like like you there is always a local yeah. guide but not not usually like that like i think indiana jones that's true uh like with the you know his friend in egypt but he's not trying to be indiana jones no or or be white but i'm 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 guessing that there are similar characters we're just not aware of it and and i put down is this a white savior movie i don't know i mean actually with the actor actually um, who plays Billy Fish? His he's his name is Saeed Jaffrey. Um, he looked familiar to me. He looked familiar too, but I don't know what he's from. I I kind of skimmed his, some of the movies he's been, but I, I couldn't recognize it. But um, apparently, on set, he wasn't given a chair to sit on, like Sean Connery right. came with, like with their name on it and stuff. Um, he was just given a stool and oh, Michael Caine, apparently Michael Caine asked an assistant director where his chair was. And the assistant director said, I've got him a stool. Indians are used to sitting anywhere. Um, and Michael Caine apparently basically yelled at him um, and demanded that he get his own chair, which he did. So Michael Caine, Michael obviously, Caine's, I mean, yeah. he's married, well, he's married to an, to an Indian. Indian. He's not racist. Yeah, right. So, uh, but obviously there's some racism <laughs> evolved in the making of the movie. And, you know, I, I obviously, you know, he's an actor. He's probably happy to have the role. And maybe in that time, he, uh, he maybe he would consider that a great role as an Indian yeah, actor. Yeah, I, I think he did. And, you know, because he, he got a lot of screen time. He's working with s superstars, probably, you would consider yeah. them at the time. A great director. Um, so he probably and, and probably has a huge career. I, he looks I very. I think he does. I think he's just me. he's been in a lot of Indian movies, and I think I I've seen like an interview where he's like basically like said that you know take a, any role like right. he's like take any role yeah. work really hard make it your own make it really good even if it's just a few lines. Um, and obviously he does. And he's it. good in it. He's good. You know, but, but you know, he essentially sacrifices. Himself. Yeah, like the end. He's just like, I will die for you, and just runs <laughs> and in. dies for and him. dies for him. It's just like he dies instantly. Yeah, and it's just like, I I understand that they kind of needed him to be out of the picture. Yeah. Um, but it was it was kind of a weird thing, and kind of through the whole movie, he's this 
I guess like he's like you're not you know he's the one he knows that they're he, not right. gods. Right, he knows that they're not but gods. I that I mean I thought he's maybe just, that he's could loyal be, to them. I thought the whole I thought that time. maybe that could be interesting. Is that his maybe his loyalty? Right. Kind of fade, maybe he gives them away because he realizes that they're. It did, you know. Obviously, we're we're gonna give some spoilers here. Uh, if if you haven't seen it, I mean, the obviously Sean Connery gets. Power mad, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. You know, and he wants to stay behind. Michael Caine is like, I'm out of here. I'm going to take half the gold as we agreed. Yeah. And Connery's like, well, I'm going to stay and get married to Roxanne, to Roxanne, this beautiful woman that he's seen earlier, and basically announces that he's going to sire future yeah. gods for them. Future kings. <laughs> so, and of course, the, the priests, the people that, um, you know that are that have kind of anointed him as 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 a god king. Say, well, you're a god. You can't. Gods don't get married. Gods don't have kids. Gods can't get married. They can't have sex with mortals. Right. Um. And so, and they, you know, have something where all these signs, bad omens. <laughs> yeah. Because he's doing something wrong. Um. And they're like, well, maybe it's because he's just pretending to be god. He's not. And of god. course, Connery's like, I don't care. I'm doing. But it Sean anyway. Connery, I actually think he kind of starts to believe that he is. I think, I don't know if he believes he's a god, but I think he kind of believes that it was fate. Yeah. And that maybe he is the, you know, somehow related to Alexander the Great. Cause he's like, you know, there's a scene where he, uh, where Michael Caine's like, let's leave. And he's like, I'm not gonna leave. And he just starts saying, you know, how this isn't just coincidence. Right. All these things had to happen. Um, you know, maybe, he, I but, am a descendant right. of Alexander the Great. <laughs> yeah. He kind of is believing in his own press. Yeah. <laughs> this is essentially what And Michael Caine's like, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but whatever, I guess I'll leave. And I do think it was, again, I'm assuming this is true to the novel, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, they bring Roxanne, but they've essentially set it up where she's going to prove to everybody that he's, he's just a, a human. He's just a human. You know, by... he. She, she bites him and he starts bleeding and then that's their downfall. Everyone knows they're human, that he's human. And, and of course, Sean, it, Sean Connery has asked Michael Caine to stay for the wedding. Yeah. He was going to leave the night he before. He was going to leave his, or like that morning. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't leave. And, uh, so yeah. And then it's like, what's interesting is like the crowd like doesn't realize at first, like they start walking away. They're like, okay, we got to leave. And yeah. Then, Michael so, Caine's like, let's just stiff up her lip it and march through. Up, let's just march through. They start walking. The crowd's like confused, not knowing the priests are yelling about how he's not a, he's right. a man. And then they like realize, and now the whole crowd's after them. And the climactic battle, they kind of have some soldiers for them and then they all die. And of course the bridge that he built, the bridge that he built is his, he goes on. They, they do cut it, it. They do an Indiana Jones sort of kind of. They do, what. What I found really kind of interesting is they kind of make his death to be this kind of heroic yeah, thing. And it's he like starts singing. Some... You know, they start singing together. And earlier, Michael Caine has was like told him to stop singing. Um, but uh, now they're singing. You know, together. Yeah. And. You know, till the end, he falls and dies, and then Michael King continues singing like it's some victory, or right. something, some sacrifice. Like it, and I'm like, it's it, not. I, I mean, mean, it's that it kind of that whole. This would be the flaws, I think, is that whole the British are just better than everybody, kind of. Yeah, thing. we're gonna we're gonna face our death as 
as brothers in arms, Englishmen. Where you know the brotherhood is a big thing. Yeah. Of the of the Freemason, but then also being British, kind of. Uh, and then I have to say, I'm not, I'm not really sure why they did the whole movie as a flashback. Yeah. Um, my kind of thought was maybe like Kipling is writing it, and so it's like him writing it about this story. This, yeah. And Michael King. Because then obviously he the comes story. back all mutilated and dirty dirt, and, and you can't tell it's him and then he he tells the story essentially and then at the very at the very end after the story is over he just kind of says i'll see you later and then he leaves mike uh, sean connery's head there i think actually now that i'm thinking about it like ob there's obviously the connection between the natives doing that where they put the head in the bag um and right. now he does it at the end so maybe it's like he's kind of Maybe the, I mean, you could read that a lot of different ways. Maybe you could read it as like, he's like the natives now, or you could say he's, or they were all always like that. Yeah, maybe or... the, he's just as barbaric as, I don't know. I, that, that point didn't really make sense to me because he has the, he's got Connery's head in a bag. He's got, still has the gold crown on his head. And then Michael Caine's like, I got to go do... He basically says something. He says what he said, well, at, the we said at the beginning. I need to go see someone in the South. And it ends with with Christopher Palmer staring at this kind of mummified head. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we didn't mention that th there's a kind of a running theme that they're playing polo with the head of someone um. that they've recently killed. Yes, yeah, and each the each progressive leader that gets killed, their head becomes the polo ball. Yeah, <laughs> and that's just kind of a running joke. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a joke, but they're like, it's you know, it's savage, it's it's bad, right? Um, but you know, they're playing polo, which is like an English right. game. Um, yeah, so it's a, so I don't know. There's uh, there's something there. I think um, um, there there's some. Or you know, and I guess it could be looked at as a, a warning. Maybe don't take yourself too seriously. Like I, don't I, know. It, like, I guess you could be like, you know, every king gets killed. Yeah, and he's gets killed too. Like, I guess you're right. I mean, that's kind of what happens in the movie. Yeah. So like, as they go, they're killing the king, taking over, killing the king, taking over, and eventually, he's, he's king, the king, and he, he gets, gets killed, killed, and he becomes the polo ball. Yeah, he becomes the polo ball. Yeah. I guess. Um, yeah, that's just that, probably I guess right. you could just say it's like the cycle yeah. of violence of kings and getting conquered. It just starts and, all over again. It um, never ends. I mean, it's interesting that they talk about Alexander the Great, who, yeah. who famously took over the world, at, or of the known world, I yeah. guess, at the time. Um, I, don't, I don't know much about Alexander the Great, but... Neither do I. I don't know if it's true that people worshipped him like a god, Um like and I did. I have to say, in general, I thought the the story was clever. I like the Alexander the Great thing. I though. like the Alexander the Great thing, and you know, everyone's always a little uh, intrigued by by Freemasons because no, you, no one really knows what they do, what they are, unless you're one of them. Indiana Jones, yeah, or National Treasure. I mean, yeah. those are like it has that kind of right. same thing. I mean, and you could almost. I mean, this you said this novel was written eighteen. 80s 80s i mean and, and if it was about the freemasons this was the original 
National Treasure, yeah, Indiana. Indiana Jones. I mean, it's not adventure as, kind of yeah. use of the Freemasons. Maybe I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's Freemasons before. There might, probably people wrote about them. I don't know. Maybe this is the first. But yeah, like Freemasons are just interesting. It's like oh, like this kind of secret society that's yeah. been always around. Alexander the Great was one, <laughs> right? Um, they tie in Alexander the Great. He was a Freemason. Uh, I and so I I did enjoy the movie. Like yeah, I enjoyed it. Like now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it. I watched it. I I wasn't really thinking about like analyzing stuff. I was just kind of watching it. Yeah. Um, uh, the, I, mean, I I another thing I just thought of is like. It it's you obviously compare it to like Lawrence of Arabia, right? And even down to like them saying the name differently, like the natives saying his name, right? They call him like Sikander instead, instead of, of Alexander, and then Orens yeah. instead of Lawrence. It's like, and that's another one. Not very much women. It's about this guy. I, I think Lawrence of Arabia is better, but right, Lawrence of Arabia is a better movie. It's a lot older. It's more serious. I mean, this one's. Very this is kind movie. of a light, I, light, I, lighthearted in parentheses. It's comedic. It's it it comes off as a bit of a romp. It is kind of. <laughs> I mean, they're like Sundance and Cassidy. They're just kind of like they kind of just live their life doing these things. Yeah, things just. It's very. They're very serendipitous. Like things just happen. luckily happen to them, and they're like, okay, well, let's move on. And but uh, yeah, I I immediately thought of Lawrence of Arabia too. But my first thought was at least again, at least they hired native yeah, people. Yeah, they hired native people. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, they didn't you know, get Alec Guinness. Alec Guinness dressed up as an Indian. They don't have Omar Sharif though. <laughs> That's true, Omar Sharif. But that would have been cool to have that kind of. Kid. But the but it it it's dated. It's dated, but. It's not one that I would strike off a list because it's dated. I mean, I think you just have to accept that it's dated. I mean, yeah, it's it's for any movie, and especially old movies. Not maybe not any movie, but especially old movies is there are. It's going to be dated. There are going to yeah. you know it is racist. Right. It is sexist, but there are things to take away from it that are good, and I do think it's worth watching. I think it's um, worth watching. It's not my favorite movie, but and it, it, it's not like my favorite movie. I didn't like love it, but it's good. I enjoyed it. It was it's worth watching. I mean, I think if you're a fan of either of the two leads, yeah, you should. It's you've got to kind of watch it. I mean, if they both said this is their favorite movie that they made, that they made, you, you need to. You probably need to watch it. I mean, I'm not. I don't know Connery or Michael Caine's. A filmography that great, um, but I did find their performances very engaging and and you you went away liking these guys. Yeah, yeah, they're like the classic kind of anti-hero. Like you can't, yeah, it's you know you can't help liking them even though they're not good guys. <laughs> I mean, they're not good guys, but you kind of like them. Yeah. And, um, what like the, there are scenes like with the jokes there's like the scene where this is very stereotypical hollywood is when michael Caine's in his bed the exotic oh. woman comes in and just takes off her clothes <laughs> yeah. and obviously he he can't do it with the contract right um and so he's like danny sure thank god you arrived let's go seek safety in battle
Yeah. Which yeah. is like a pretty funny. It's like kind of a funny, like right. it's kind of a funny joke, but like the whole setup is just like right. you, you're rolling your eyes watching it. You're <laughs> yeah. like, okay. I, I, yeah. I, I, I was the same thing when I, when I, when I saw that scene, cause you know, it's the whole, I can't resist, you know, I don't have the willpower. So let's go fight. So then he gets the reprieve because, uh, Sean Connery comes in and is like, yeah, you know, we, Let's go where it's safer, the battlefield. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like a one, it's like a little joke in like a comedy movie, rom com or something. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of that through the movie. Uh, but I think, well, that's kind of what makes the movie. I mean, in some yeah. ways, it's this, this tone to it. I just wish that there were, that the music wasn't so jarring because that's where I found it. I found the music cues just kind of jarring. Um, but other than that, you know, again, you got to kind of get rid of the fact that, you know, they're calling them heathens and savages all the time. Yeah. Uh, you, you just got to accept that that's how maybe they probably would talk in, in the time period. I don't know. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, they probably would talk. Um, it's not, I mean, it's not the best. I mean, I just, I also maybe would have had, I mean, yeah. There doesn't need to be women necessarily characters, but like women do only play one role in the yeah, movie. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, Lawrence Arabia doesn't have women either, but but they don't do any in, in Lawrence of Arabia. They, don't do, they the, don't do anything. I mean, they're 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 you like literally just not. In. You literally only see a few women in the back. Like this, it's like there's women, but they're but they're objects. only there for sex. They're objects, yeah. right? They're either. They're lusting after the women, but they can't have them because of their contract. Or it's the scene with the the wife that's being essentially prostituted out so maybe. that the guy can get the cows. Yeah, you're right. It's, yeah, maybe. And they're always ogling the native women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There always are, uh, which is very typical. It's, it's Maybe it's kind of a meta thing with Bond. I mean, I could see it being a Bond thing like with the scene like bond this is a scene where james bond comes in and is like don't sleep with the woman <laughs> which uh uh um, doesn't happen in but i guess uh so what would you say your how would you rate it um what do we do i don't know this, this one's this this one is this one's hard for me because at the at, like I I enjoyed it, but kind of at the same time, I I'm not like nothing like really stands out to me. I'm like this is really good, or there wasn't there wasn't really a moment where I was like this is super good. Um, like a moment actually that I remember is when they're talking and Michael Keaton's gonna leave, and they're kind of talking through this veil. Yeah, I feel like that's intentional. Or like that times they're talking through it, other times they pull it apart and they're actually right. seeing. But it's so like there's stuff like that that I like, but. I don't know. I'd probably give it a out of ten, out of out of ten, maybe. I don't know, like maybe like a seven. Or, yeah, that's or, probably okay. what I was thinking too. If we do it out of ten, I would say it's probably a seven. I mean, the the scenes that I enjoyed the most were probably kind of the banter, the scene yeah. where they march in when they're get, gonna, gonna get arrested, and they're just kind of yeah. That, that that goofy banter, this the little bit of the, the their individual interactions with um, with Christopher Plummer, with the whole uh, Freemason stuff. It's it really is just it's those two that makes me 
say, okay, yeah, I did enjoy the movie. Um, so I, I think a seven is is a good realistic yeah. rating of it. I Another thing with the Freemasons, there were times where I thought maybe they're not actually Freemasons. It's one of them thing. It's like a con. Um, maybe they're like conning, conning the, the Christopher Palmer. But... But he does return the watch yeah, when he sees of, it. So yeah. I do think they were. But there were times where I was like, May, they're kind of using him. Maybe it's this. And I think they do. Like, even if they were Freemasons. They still use him. They still use him like, and be like, yeah, we're Freemasons, so help so, us. Yeah, that's basically uh, it. Yeah. And, and I, I, when, when, they, when he first stole the watch and he saw he was a Freemason, I didn't realize that he was returning it. Because he was a Freemason. Yeah, I didn't really... I, I don't know. I, I thought maybe he was scared of the Freemasons. I, I didn't really, like, have it put together. Because I didn't... Well, I didn't know it was the Freemason symbol. I don't know the Freemason symbol. I guess it's the eye. The it's the all-seeing eye. eye. So yeah. it's like the Illuminati kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's the Illuminati. I, 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 like, didn't put that together, I guess. When I first saw it, I was like, oh, I don't know. He saw the symbol, so now he's returning. I don't know why. Obviously, they explain it. And I like when Christopher Palmer is like... I knew it was gone before. I knew yeah. you took it. The one, and that reminds me, I meant to bring up this scene. The scene where oh, he, throws he throws the, the guy, guy off the, the train. That's the same scene. And it's like, what was the what? point of that whole scene? I mean, I know he was trying to make it look like that guy. But again, here's this Indian guy gets on the train. He's a watermelon. He's got a watermelon. He just starts eating it. And he constantly is saying, I'm sorry, or thank you. I think he keeps saying, I'm th- Yeah, he's one you, of these things where he's like a servant. He's like, you know, kind of always worshiping the british and he's even says thank you as he's being thrown <laughs> yeah. off the train i mean that's a joke obviously yeah is like how he always says thank you kind of like emperor's new groove when the guy gets thrown out the thing and he's <laughs> yeah. like i'm sorry it just was but weird it's I- like a joke like it's but then it's like he cuts it he's offering it to them they're like no and then he just throws him out the train like i get i don't know why i mean that was probably the one scene that rubbed me the wrong way the most. I had, I have to say it, um, and I know it was a setup so that he could. Try but and also, just the, maybe you know, it shows Michael Caine's character. He obviously doesn't care about. Yeah, the he'll do anything that he, he needs to do. He's this weird guy. He'll just throw people out the train. But he, you know, as he said, it wasn't going to kill him. It was too slow of a train. And then he gets off the train. He jumps off That's the train. That's true. Later. And then at the obviously the 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 final of that is that Christopher Palmer says to him, I noticed my watch was gone before this guy got yeah, the train so anyway. Like, so you I, did all of this for no reason. I knew it wasn't the Indian guy. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I had forgotten all about that team. But, this. but I, I think I, I would say so. And again, if someone were to say to me, should I watch this movie? It, well, it, for me, it depends who. Who, yeah. Like, some people I know, you're not going to like They're going to, yeah. Like, some people just hate the movie. It's, it's I don't dated. Think, I don't think your mom It's a period like it. piece. It's A lot of people think it's boring. It's right. slow. Yeah. Um, but then people, if you like old movies, if you like Sean Connery and Michael Caine... You like... Or you like kind period of pieces, maybe. Whole, you like that I, kind I of pirate that, piece. I that adventure exotic world type of situation too you might really like it uh, yeah it did you're right it probably depends on who but i again i'm glad i watched it it's one i had heard of for i had heard of but never really knew anything about yeah i don't think i've wa- i've never watched a michael Caine, a young michael kane movie um and i pretty much only watched the ones where he's you know he's not a lead right so it's interesting to see him as a lead uh 
but good. I also want to watch some of the other John Huston movies. Well, and it makes me want to go back to and watch some of the earlier Michael Caine movies, ones that, you know, that kind of made him a star, Alfie and some of those other yeah. ones. Um, but it, I'd say, yeah, I mean, it was an entertaining, it was an entertaining 1975. Yeah, 1975, <laughs> very kind of different. I don't think the album... The album does not go with the movie no, at all. No, yeah, you're right. But it's if you like, were to try and pair the two up, really, no. But it's it's not like a Pink Floyd Wizard of Oz. <laughs> no, there's no way you would put one on and, and play the record, put the movie on and But, play you know, record. it shows there's all these different things yeah. happening right now. It's yeah. Of, um, so, yeah, good year. Overall, I'd say this year was good, I guess. I think for, we got lucky. We I think we got lucky for the first pod yeah, good to, to, to get place. 1975 and pick something that neither one of us had seen the movie. With the record, we had two very different approaches to it, me having a, a lot of history with it, and you really ne had no, never, I've had never listened, listened to, to the it. album whole, so that would be good. Uh, so the next year... So what I'm going to do is I'm just going online, Google, random number generator. Okay. So we I'm going to hit generate. The year is 1999. Oh, I thought it was going to go I earlier. Was, yeah, so 1999. So, uh, Do you want to pick it stuff right now too? Should we pick it? Yeah, we could do that. I'm fine with doing that. So you look up movies and I'll look up albums. So, so nineteen ninety nine, we're doing the Mummy, and Fiona Apple's When the Pawn Hits the King. Yeah. All right, well that's the end of the first pod. Yeah, Hopefully. I keep forgetting what it's called again. I think we're going with the reels and revolutions. <laughs> reels and revolutions. That's the uh, the the end of the first episode of Reels and Revolutions. It's been fun. Well. Next time, 1999. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. We'll party like it's 1999. Yeah. All right, signing off.